Welcome to the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, Cyber Leaders on Identity Management, sponsored by Kerasoft. Here's today's moderator, JJ Green. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Zachary Brown, Chief Information Security Officer at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Greg Hall, Assistant Director of Information System Security and Chief Information Security Officer at the Justice Department's Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys. Patricia Jansen, Director, Cybersecurity Architecture and Capability Oversight, Office of the Deputy CIO for Cybersecurity, Department of Defense. Jamie Lynn Noble, Chief Information Security Officer at the Justice Department's Office of Justice Programs. Adam Zymet, Chief of Identity, Credential and Access Management at the Department of Agriculture. Bill Boz, DOD Account Executive at Radiant Logic, and Frank Brigulio, Public Sector Identity Governance Strategist at SailPoint. The amount of cybersecurity threats to the government are at an all-time high and promise to continue to grow in both scope and sophistication. At the heart of agencies' missions right now is to be assured that the right person is accessing the right information at the right time for the right reason. Identity management is the administrative process for identifying, validating, and authorizing individuals and groups of people to be granted access to applications, systems, or networks by associating their user rights and restrictions with established identities. That's the subject of our Innovation and Government Cyber Leaders Show today. The process and approaches have changed over time from things like HSPD-12, which was more than 15 years ago, to PIV cards, to PKI, to ICAM, to OMB, NIST, and DHS directives and guidelines. The creation and use of policies, standards, implementation, and architecture is a constant dialogue issue, and we'll have to learn about that more today before we leave because that's a critical issue. And we'll also find out how agencies are making progress and how industries' advancements are being applied to help them. So, to begin, let's understand where we are now in terms of how much progress is being made and what challenges the government faces in moving their priorities ahead. Patricia Jensen, let's start with you. Is there a particular case that you can cite that you have, and what are those challenges that are associated with it? We actually have several different challenges that we're uh, trying to address. Uh, being within the Department of Defense, we have so many different communities. So we have our retirees and the dependents, and we're trying to figure out how do we make it easier for us to be able to support our retirees and our dependents and still provide two-factor authentication and secure communications. So we're putting a lot of emphasis there in one area. Uh, the second area is how do we support, uh, as we move to the cloud, um, secure authentication for our business systems um, and for our coalition partners and our industry partners. So we're looking at different ways of how do we have enterprise authentication services and have multiple factor form factors that are built from our common access card because we believe in that strong identity, but we understand not everything can use a card. Uh, and then finally, the new thing that's evolving for us as we move to um, uh, artificial intelligence is how do we authenticate bots and make sure that the bots that are coming are actually supposed to be there and are authorized to do what they're trying to do. How would you assess your progress? I think in the traditional realm we're making progress. Uh, we just recently are starting to move out with an authentication service that will allow us to be able to automatically provision accounts and be able to, to manage those kind of things. And we're looking at derived credentials for mobile devices, and we're starting to look at how can we su support uh, using alternative uh, capabilities for the consumer to industry, like the retirees, like recruits coming in and things like that. But we've got a long way to go. Okay, over to Jamie Lynn Noble. As the perimeter expands in relation to people accessing these networks with justice and the amount of agents and applications at work in the field, how are you addressing the operational challenges that are associated with identity? So at the Office of Justice Programs, we're actually um, at a unique point um, in our modernization of our grants management system. And um, the modernization of this system 
includes, um, it's basically a complex system of systems, if you will, uh, for a with a lot of cloud managed services that are coming together. And so part of our identity and access management solution uh, to accompany this um, is looking at a cloud managed solution for identity and access management in the cloud. Um, and so that's one of the unique challenges that we're faced with today. Now, is this a zero trust type of conversation or approach? We're not um, moving out with a zero trust approach uh, just yet, but uh, it's definitely something that we're keeping in mind um, and that we're setting ourselves up for um, once we have the proper governance in place to support um, a methodology like that, we'd definitely be looking into it. Okay, continuing this theme with justice, Greg Hall, uh, continuous diagnostic monitoring. Um, tell us how that fits into what you've heard or, or what, you're, what you're working on. Well, I think CDM offers some advantages to the federal government in terms of picking products or being able to use products that have been pre-vetted uh, that offer advantages in terms of procurement, acquisition, uh, integration, scalability, efficiencies, those kinds of things. At the same time, I think uh, departments, agencies also have an opportunity to be innovative and to look outside of CDM and to look at the technology landscape and to figure out what best meets their needs relative to their own internal business requirements. And I think uh, at, at Justice in particular within U.S. Attorneys, we've, we've done that. We really have. And I think we've taken a leadership role. We've been very innovative. We've been very forward-thinking in terms of the solution space. And, uh, and I think that's manifested in where we are today with regards to our program. I think we are a very mature program within the department. Uh, we've actually gotten to the point where we um, function as a service provider. I think that's scaled back a little bit, but um, you know, we've uh, actually um, spearheaded a number of technology initiatives to include the development of connectors between technologies. Uh, we've actually brought independent market uh, spaces and competitors together as now uh, co-product sponsors, if you will, right? And, and this is powerful. I think it's powerful to the government in terms of offering um, solutions to meet advanced IDM requirements. And I think it's also innovative in terms of how the industry partners to offer the best solutions that provide standardized integration capabilities to meet uh, you know, ongoing IDM uh, you know, business needs within the federal government. So, um, you know, you know, and I think CDM will continue to offer that value, but at the same time, uh, it's really incumbent upon the departments and agencies to, um, particularly within the IDM space, because there's so much going on. The technology changes so rapidly. Uh, the requirements change so rapidly. I mean, Trish talked about um, you know, uh, non-person entities, right, and being able to you know, have digital identities and credentials for non-person entities, and that's, that's really leading edge and very far out there. I think a lot of folks are doing good with regards to person entities, but um, so it's, you know, it, it's a huge space. There's lots going on. There's lots of challenges, but um, it's also very exciting in terms of the technology space. Zach Brown, FDIC, what about your organization? What can you share about uh, how you're integrating identity into the CDM program? So CDM itself is a whole other conversation, but uh, the identity management piece, um, we're, we're actually looking at the identity management separate from our CDM initiative. Um, in that, you know, there was a time you mentioned in the introduction that HSPD 12 was, was published about 15 years ago. There's a, back when it was written and when a lot of these early identity management initiatives were started, um, Enterprise class was was the target. We wanted to go big. We wanted to launch an entire kind of monolith strategy for most of our, our operations. Since then, over the past 15 years, we've gone more to a consumer-centric uh, model where the devices we carry in our hands are really the, the make-it-or-break-it um, access point for most of the systems and services that we need to get to. So at the FDIC, we're taking a kind of a holistic approach, looking at the tools and the, the capabilities that are that are available, available to us today, either through CDM or um, other sources and really trying to address that that consumer experience, that user experience, to be sure that that data, that service, that that system is available um, when they need it, when the users need it. Adam Zymet, we've talked a lot about making sure the right person has access to the right information and all of the right things. So what kind of assurance levels uh, do you have in your organization and um, that are at play to make sure that this is happening? in the space and time that it's supposed to be happening? You know, we have a real wide range of use cases that we have to support all the way from very low risk, uh, citizen facing interactions to high risk protection of high valued assets within the department. So what we've really tried to do is make sure that we're making the right risk appropriate decisions for any system or application or user community 
And there really is an ICAM program that we're helping our business community uh, digest the, the risk assessment process, make it easy for them and uh, understandable for them to, to make those right decisions. Mm. And, um, you know, looking at where you're going, um, how do you see uh, your next, what's your next step in terms of uh, making sure that that continues, that success continues? Uh, you, you know, we've tried to uh, establish a kind of a centralized program office that can sort of be that liaison to the business community uh, to help, help guide them through that process, I think. And then we also want to make sure that we have the right enterprise shared services available and the right capabilities available so that whatever they need to do, whatever is the right uh, mix of assurance or uh, risk mitigation or user experience, that those capabilities are readily available to our business community whenever they need it. Great. Frank Bergulio, SailPoint. I want to add uh, in this conversation today how automation is becoming a key part of security operations to identify potentially risky users. Step us through that, would you? Absolutely, let's take the CDM master user record as a foundation. And <clears throat> the master user record really provides the agencies a set of attributes about the identity that they didn't have before in one centralized location. So that now they can actually use those attributes um, in their ICAM programs um, to identify roles based on job titles, based on um, training certification. There's a lot of attributes in there that we didn't have before, and, and that's where the identity governance platform fits in. So as we use this data in the ICAM automation processes, um, when we detect action in a SIM tool or in a logging tool, um, we can validate that against who should have access. Are they doing something they should be doing? So it really provides that foundation um, you know, to increase efficiencies, reduce some of the, the overexposure, the overentitlement. When we look at you know, the uh, high value assessment, high value asset assessment done, um, you know, many agencies have challenges answering who has access to what, how did they get that access? And really taking this data in, in, in the CDM platform, and, and Department of Defense is, is moving in this way as well, um, in the fire audit, you know, over mm -hmm. 2,400 uh, NFRs found in, in the financial systems, you know, identity and access management is the solution of that. And uh, I think we can all learn from those mistakes. How would, you, how would you assess your government clients' response to what you're offering them and what you're doing with them, engaging with them? Because we know that the pace of change makes everything change uh, on its own, whether we wanted to or not, much faster than we uh, would prefer. So I'm sure your, your clients have questions about things, even if you've just taught them something last week, um, there's a new threat out there tomorrow. So how are they responding to your ability to get what they need to them, and uh, what are they asking for? Absolutely, you know, when, when we look at, at some of the agencies that, that we deal with, you, you know, um, there are very mature agencies, um, and there are very there are agencies that are very in the infantile state, right? They're just starting in this. Um, but identity is a journey, and I think any of us up here um, will agree with that, that it doesn't end. And, and that should be a lesson learned um, for all agencies where we thought we were done with HSBD-12 and we stopped using the identity. We, we had a, a block at the door being the PIV card, um, but we weren't managing the entitlement, the, the credential, and, and the identity in their access. And, and that's got us into some of the positions we're in today. So agencies are adopting at, at a slow, measurable pace, um, and that's really how identity should be approached. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something, there, there is no destination, it's ongoing. Because of the things like technology, um, policies, it's gonna change, but you can't stop looking at the identity. Bill Baz, what are your clients telling you they need more than anything when you speak to them about what they're facing, what you're offering them, and what the threat landscape is out there? What are they telling you that they need from you more than anything else? Well, the short answer to that is de it depends on the customer. Um, as Greg alluded to earlier, uh, requirements are changing rapidly, and identity is a moving target. Um, if you look at organizations that are migrating to the cloud, 
um, a key challenge that we're seeing with organization is, or organizations are, uh, the moment a new application comes in, a number of things have to happen in order to make appropriate access decisions. Uh, you have to know enough about those users or user populations uh, in order to really have uh, fine-grained access. Um, and the challenge is, as you move more to SaaS or um, cloud-based applications, uh, the less you have control on customizing those applications specifically. Um, and uh, the dilemma that we see, and, and Jamie kind of stated earlier, is you have systems of systems, right? And data around your various user populations aren't just an active directory. Uh, the more mature, from my experience, uh, supporting the federal government and the Department of Defense is, uh, the more mature an organization is, the more you have data in other repositories. Um, uh, with the uh, expansion of cloud, you have cloud directories, you have uh, web applications, you have uh, you know, legacy systems like SunOne, databases, RACF, uh, and all this data uh, needs to kind of be aggregated, normalized, contextualized to meet the large emission requirement. Um, and in addition to that, you have legacy applications. These legacy applications in most cases are mission critical, so you can't just really you know, uh, disrupt what you have existing because those applications will break. So yeah. how do you really honor your existing investments and enable your new initiatives? Uh, you need some kind of an abstraction layer or a loosely coupled architecture that can harness, contextualize your existing investments to meet your current initiatives while enabling your future requirements, all while aligning with uh, OMB M1917, the National Defense Strategy, uh, as well as the DOD Digital Modernization Strategy. I imagine, for everybody, um, that the um, governance process plays a big part in the construction of your identity plan. So mm -hmm. I want to know how privileged access management uh, gets integrated into your identity architecture plans. And Trisha, let's start with you. Well, first of all, we several years ago, we decided we needed to make sure that our privileged access users were actually using secure authentication. So we made a mandate. They had to use some form of smart card logon and PKI authentication. And we integrated that into a scorecard that actually gets reported to the uh, Deputy Secretary of Defense on whether they're complying or not. And it became very clear very quickly that many applications could not be what we call PKI enabled for smart card logon. So we've been able to evolve to using secure authentication services for those applications. And, and now we're starting to move out to making sure using master user records and some of those other things is how do we make sure a privileged user can only get to the resources they're supposed to get to and not have access to everything they might want to have and therefore create an insider threat or loss of critical information. So I think we're trying to leverage um, access controls as well as securely authenticating who the privileged user is. From a time perspective, how much time is added to your, to your process when you have to answer these engaging types of issues with all of your clients? Issuing the, the tokens has been a, a challenge for especially the services, given the volume of the system administrators they have and things like that. So we've looked at ways of how do we um, improve the issuance of alternative tokens to those users. We streamlined the process of how do we approve author uh, alternative authentication services for where um, alternative tokens can't work. And we're hoping as we implement things like automated account provisioning, uh, that will make it even faster for us to be able to provision and deprovision. Uh, as the audit was mentioned before, we found there are numerous people who still have access to information and they're long since gone. And they don't need it. And they don't need it. So we need to make sure how do we make it very quickly uh, so you get the access when you need it, but you remove the access as soon as you don't need it. And that's something we really haven't talked about much, but Jamie Lynn, you're nodding your head over there fairly vigorously, so I know you have something you want to say. But I want to ask you about sure. this as well, though. Um, the need to know thing was a big problem for the U.S. government you know, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but is that still an issue now? And uh, please expound on your thoughts to uh, yeah. Trisha's comments. It absolutely uh, is still a need, and it remains so, um, especially with the business that we conduct at the Office of Justice Programs um, specifically. We do um, business not only internally, but um, we do business with a lot of external um, stakeholders with our citizens. Um, as I mentioned, we're a grant-making agency, and so we have a lot of entities that come in and want to do business with OJP in a variety of different um, matters. So having 
um, the attributes available to us in the technology that can tell us um, you know, who they are and what kind of training they've had, um, specifically to either you know, managing a grant, um, being a grantee, um, we need to know that they've had the proper training um, and that they, they have the um, proper context uh, in which they're going to be operating with our information systems. And Patricia mentioned um, internal governance for internal users is definitely um, of the utmost importance, especially if we ever want to move to a zero trust model. Um, but for internal users, we need to make sure that they've had the proper training uh, and that they um, have the proper access to the systems that they need, no matter whether they're just joining our organization or if they're moving around within our organization, moving jobs. A lot of times people come into our organization uh, with one job and then you know, throughout the years they may shift to a whole other uh, industry within our organization and they have um, a need to have access to different systems. And so we want to make sure that um, with each of those changes, whether they're joining or leaving or moving in the organization, um, that their access uh, leaves, you know, that they, they get that access removed um, and that they have access to the new systems that they need to be able to do their jobs. Greg. You know, it's interesting. I think just listening to the panel here, um, you know, it, you know, IDAM is a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's the reality. And the other thing is when you try to align the federal acquisition cycle with the technology uh, innovation, um, it, it just doesn't align too well, right? Now, not to mention the fact that you have to support these technologies and have people that are skilled and trained to support the IDAM platforms that you're deploying. So it's a, it's a huge challenge to align all of these things. So it really is a marathon, and I keep talking about that with my CIO and the director, and, and, and we're moving towards that direction. So it is strategic as well, and it's the right investment to make, mm -hmm. right? It is absolutely the right investment to make, and it is the right race to run. And we have to be all in on this because there are so many pivot points off of this technology. And uh, two of which um, are, you know, privilege access management must talk to identity governance administration. Identity governance administration must be able to leverage multi-factor authentication. All right, and oh, by the way, there are also nexus points with insider threat, enterprise audit, um, and all that security intelligence that's derived from these platforms. Um, so this is, a, this is really a core platform to any business, any agency, any department, um, and it is strategic in nature, and it really requires a lot of deliberate planning. It really, really does. And so I would, I would say that um, you know, this is the right topic to be talking about, JJ, because of its impact across the federal government and the public, private sector as well. Um, okay. and, uh, but we must look at this thing holistically, and I think someone mentioned that before. It really is that type of... Uh, uh, of, of, of functional requirement. Zach, want to go to you briefly and Adam as well before we leave this uh, segment. <laughs> Moving to the cloud seems, and I emphasize that word, seems to, to make the job of life cycle management significantly easier for IT leaders. I, is that factual? Is that true? No. I didn't think <laughs> so. so. So we've talked about governance a little bit, um, governance in a broader sense of um, you know, what Greg said about deliberate planning. I think that's really gets to the root of it. And so if you've developed your governance processes and your governance bodies around this, this reality of change that we're living in, um, we're, we're working with more data, more systems, more connections than mm -hmm. ever before. And there's no, <laughs> there's really no end in sight uh, in that regard. We're going to continue to expand and continue to rely on more and more external service providers. Um, in doing so, we need to be able to to be sure that internally to whichever core governance structure you've established within your agency, within your organization, that you have at least eyes on and have, have mechanisms and channels to, to, be able to, to be able to manage through that change. Okay. Um, we're in a time now where also we have the, our, our industry partners that really have the ability to help guide, navigate um, access to and, and managing identities through um, to each of these external services in a way that we don't have to solve these problems for ourselves anymore. Adam, you heard what Zach said, the cloud really doesn't make the job of life cycle management a lot easier. Do you agree with that? Definitely, I mean, there's a lot of added complexity when we're looking at uh, you know, a growing environment where more things are moving beyond the traditional perimeter. We have uh, on-premise or private clouds, multiple IaaS providers. Um, and SaaS applications that we're also trying to use. So that, mm -hmm. that definitely can make things more complex from an identity perspective. And we've really tried to uh, maintain centralized or you know, a, a single source of truth 
when it comes to identity information and governance information that we can control access with and, and feed information to our security operations center. Uh, but we also want to be able to leverage built-in or inherent capabilities of cloud and cloud providers as well, uh, you know, in a federated manner, in a way that lets us use those capabilities without creating more identity stovepipes. Very interesting, thank you. We're gonna take a short break here. I'm your moderator, JJ Green, on the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, Cyber Leaders on Identity Management, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. Today's federal mandates require stronger user authentication and smarter authorization. But many legacy systems can't handle these requirements. At the same time, the right people need access to the right resources and nothing more. Radiant Logic offers a federated identity service that leverages your identity investments. This agency-tested plug-and-play solution works dynamically with all of your existing identity sources, allowing you to protect your key assets and adapt to new initiatives without reinventing the identity system. Find out more at RadiantLogic.com. If you work for a federal agency, don't risk your data security and reputation with an unproven identity solution. SailPoint has been a Gartner Magic Quadrant leader in identity governance for six years straight and is currently used by over 60 federal, 60 federal government agencies. Download the Magic Quadrant report today and find out why SailPoint is the most trusted identity solution available. Go to SailPoint.com Gartner. That's SailPoint.com G-A-R-T-N-E-R. Welcome back to the panel discussion. Innovation in government, cyber leaders on identity management. Sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. My guests today are Zachary Brown, Chief Information Security Officer at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Greg Hall, Assistant Director of Information System Security, and Chief Information Security Officer at the Justice Department's Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys. Patricia Jansen, Director, Cybersecurity Architecture and Capability Oversight. Office of the Deputy CIO for Cybersecurity, Department of Defense. Jamie Lynn Noble, Chief Information Security Officer at the Justice Department's Office of Justice Programs. Adam Zimet, Chief of Identity, Credential, and Access Management at the Department of Agriculture. Habib Harani, Solutions Engineer at Okta. And Kevin German, Regional Manager of Federal Customer Service at CyberArk. Let me start with you, Habib. Um, at Okta, can you provide an industry perspective relating to the deployment of CDM you'd like to see woven into this particular conversation today? Um, I think we're seeing a lot of that already, and it's adopting zero trust or moving towards zero trust. Because at the end of the day, right, with the changing landscape like everybody's talked about, it's all about continually assessing, making sure that the right person has a right level of access to the right application under the right conditions. Um, where we're seeing that shift is starting to be around, like Adam had mentioned, that hybrid, you've got some on-prem legacy that are mission critical, and Bill had mentioned that. And then you've got the modern applications you're trying to move to, trying to move towards that standards-based access where it's repeatable, it's reliable. It's something you can enforce across an organization, and not only across the organization, but across the different user types in the organization. So whether that's a PIV holder, or whether that's a foreign national that you have to work with that you're never going to get a PIV card to, but you still need to protect that access. So I think we're starting to see that shift in the CDM program where they're starting to look at the broader landscape and that access. Um, so it's exciting to see that shift and how that's getting implemented. So Kevin, does CDM occupy the same significance uh, in your program? Absolutely. Uh, CyberArk is one, uh, the chosen PAM solution, privilege access management solution uh, as part of the CDM phase two program. Um, and uh, most of our uh, federal civilian customers participated in that, uh, in that program. Um, as part of that, right, uh, we're helping integrate with the, the tools and, and, and capabilities mentioned here today. Um, a big use case that we've seen is, you know, providing multi-factor access to high-value assets. Uh, think about, you know, legacy devices and applications like mainframes or uh, other systems that don't natively support uh, that CAC authentication, right? It might be limited to eight-character passwords or, uh, you know, very old, um, you know, authentication mechanisms. Cyber can help uh, facilitate that. Um, and also, uh, previously mentioned was the, the identity space, uh, the non-human entity space, right? Um, one thing I think CyberArk excels at is being able to assign uh, permissions and access to those non-human entities that are 
retrieving uh, credentials or what they're called secrets in the DevSecOps pipeline, right? Being mm -hmm. able to provide non-human entities that are ephemeral, constantly changing, servers are spinning up and down, and being able to do that uh, in a, an effective fashion. Mm -hmm. So let's move to, 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 to how identity management um, and the integration process is functioning with cloud services. Um, Patricia, can you uh, talk to us a bit about that? Um, we're struggling right now to figure out how do we securely authenticate and provision people in the cloud. We know we want to be the identity provider for the department because we want to make sure that we don't ever create a man in the middle attack potential. So we're starting to build an enterprise authentication service that will allow us to be able to take the identity vetting we've done with our CACs, the identity vetting that's associated with our retirees independents, with our coalition partners, with our industry partners, and be able to leverage that in the cloud to be able to securely authenticate and actually even provision accounts. We're not there yet, but that is what we hope to have in the, in the next uh, 12 to 24 months. Mm. So what's the next hurdle to, to, or next key uh, benchmark that you need to pass before you get to that point where you're, con you're, you're, you're confident that you're, you're where you need to be? Well, I think it's, it's a matter of, one, we've got to get the capability in place. Uh, we have had some starts before and we're going to build on those lessons learned. Uh, but I think the other challenge is going to be, as someone else mentioned, how do we do that in the cloud but still support our on-prem services, our legacy systems, and be able to share that information across all of those communities to make sure we don't inadvertently allow someone to approve their pay level, approve their paycheck, and approve their time card just because they're at three different locations. And so sharing that information to make sure we have that data repository is going to be very important as we move into the cloud. And Adam, the Department of Agriculture has a lot of uh, field activity underway as well. And uh, you know, we, we think about that um, quite often from, a, from, a, from a, a bureaucratic point of view all the time, but when you're, you're talking about the actual field work that needs to take place, it's the technology's really increasing the ability for agriculture to do things differently just as well as, as any particular agency that would be uh, as a NASA or somebody that's heavily focused on secret scientific things, but you know, agriculture has its needs as well when it comes to this kind of capability. So how are you managing that uh, and, and doing that through the cloud and, and identity management uh, being a part of the process? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, as part of our IT modernization efforts, but also improving our customer experience and our citizen interactions is uh, a, a really important priority for USDA and from an ICAM perspective, so many of those transactions are moving online as we move, uh, you know, things that were traditionally in a service center office or somewhere somebody had to drive into an office to fill out paperwork and now we can have more of those things, uh, more of those transactions online. Uh, but that presents a, you know, a challenge for ICAM in that we need to not only secure those systems, you know, uh, establish the trust uh, in those users, verify the users where that's required, but also give them uh, consumer-grade experiences that they would also expect uh, in processes that are simple, intuitive, uh, and easy for them to use so that we're making things as accessible to citizens as we can possibly, as possibly make them. Part of what we're doing here in this segment is talking about how integration is important in sewing all these things together, like ICAM, CDM, and the cloud, and so many other things that are part of the process when you look at the work that these folks have to do to make their agencies effective. So, Greg, I want to go to you. Um, what's your current strategy for identity credentialing and access management? Um, well, it's, uh, it's very broad. I think um, the, the biggest thing is to make sure that it enables the mission. Right at the end of the day, the U.S. attorneys have to litigate. They have to be successful in their litigation, um, and they have to you know, put bad people in jail. Um, and so everything that we do is really directed towards enabling that. And if that's you know, access to resources more efficiently, um, more effectively, then that's, that's what we're trying to do with our identity access management platforms. If it's access to enabling tools like litigation applications in particular, 
Relativity or Vineo or Jive or those types of applications that directly support the discovery effort and how they you know, process a particular case, then it's focusing on how those applications connect to our identity and access management platforms. Um, if it's getting access to data, you know, where's our data? Are we ensuring that uh, the right people are getting access to that data? Uh, when and, and where they need it. Uh, a great example of that would be subject matter experts that we have to bring on board you know, to assist in you know, specific litigation efforts. And those are external partners and how do we get access to them? How do we provide access to them in a trusted way? Uh, so it's making sure that we cover this broad spectrum of 15 to 18,000 people, some of which are within the department and many of which are not, um, and then leveraging these technology platforms to do it in a very secure, scalable, efficient, uh, interesting way. Um, right. I want to ask you a question, perhaps you and Jamie Lynn together, since you're in the same organization. Um, but then I want to go to, to, to Adam from CyberArk, uh, specifically, and back to Habib. But you know, what we've done today is talked about a lot of questions that you have to ask. How do we make this work? How do we do this this way? What's the best way to do this? How much time does that consume in your, I guess, your, your investigation uh, of what you need to do to get to where you need to be? How much time is, is, is allotted for that, and is it enough time uh, to make sure that you're, you're doing what you need to do? I, the bottom line here is, uh, are you able to answer all those questions before you start your project? I, I, I think, you know... Um, I guess you should be, but are you? Well, let me answer your first question. So we've been spending a lot of time together, actually, so, um, and, and, and it's a very good news story, I think. Um, and it really addresses the business model for the department. What's the right business model with respect to delivering IDEM services? And uh, in some cases, that could be delivered by a cloud provider. In some cases, it could be delivered by a component within the department. Uh, and in some cases, it could be hybrid. It could be third party. It could be a lot of different things. But um, so we've gone down the path of working together in delivering a reference architecture and providing a technology platform that OJP can use. And I think um, it's been very successful for them, and it's successful for them, and it's been really a launching point for them to figure out what's the next um, right business model for them to meet their needs within OJP in particular. Um, and so, you know, we, we've done we've spent a lot of time together. I, I think there's never enough time, right? There's just never enough time. And I, and I, I think yeah. with respect to projects, um, you really hope that you've done the due diligence. You really hope that you've developed a good business case that it's a sound investment. You know what the return is. You know how you're going to measure performance. Um, and communicate that to stakeholders. Um, but it's challenging, and I think sometimes, I hate to say it, but you know, we build the plane as we fly it, you know? and it's just, you know, mission comes first, and you have to deliver a capability, and you try to do that as best you can in a very secure, efficient way, uh, but sometimes it just, you know, it, it, it's, it's not perfect, and it's not pretty, but, uh, gets but, the job done. but it gets the job done. You know? and, Jamie Lynn, flying that plane while you're building it. Wow, oh man, you're really speaking to me on that front. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, we're right in the, the midst of an IT modernization project that has to do with our grants management systems. Yeah. And um, we really did get to spend um, a lot of time to think about um, how we wanted to manage our external users. As I mentioned, there are, there are many. And, uh, you know their their jobs and the way that they do business with our with our organization um, is very vast, and so we were very deliberate um, when we were considering these business cases and how we were going to um, structure it. Uh, and I think the governance aspect of that is so important. But if you don't spend the time up front to think to really think about it, you're going to be in trouble later. And mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that there weren't any missteps along the way or any things that, any things that we needed to go back to the drawing table and reconsider. Um, but we, we are in a unique opportunity where um, you know, we're, we're right in the midst of a, an IT modernization effort. So we're, we're, we're getting to spend that time up front and um, we're making those changes along the way as we need to. So well, it's going well. That's comforting. It's good to hear that. You're yeah. able to do that because yeah. for, for a lot of us in the yeah. civilian world, it's really difficult to kind of uh, process how you're able to do these things, but technology helps a lot, but there are also brilliant people at work uh, in the government as well, and we know that, and some of them are represented here today. So- um, Can you comment just a little bit more on that, JJ? Do you mind just one additional sure. in that? You know, there are 39 requirements today, and I think someone earlier mentioned all the OMB memorandums, right? And I count at least you know, six or seven that I just looked at before coming here, and, and uh, you know, these requirements continue to, you know, just aggregate, and, mm -hmm. and it's very challenging uh, on the government side as well, not just the technology side and, and the acquisition budget side. And um, you know, so 
you know, it, it's tough. It's a very tough space. But you're getting it done under challenging circumstances, and I think that's the that's the key takeaway here. You're, you are getting it done under these circumstances, and I think that's that's a great that's great news for 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 folks who are, are partaking in this. Um, you know, security and cloud. <laughs> Those two things are. It's impossible to talk about the cloud without thinking about security. So, you know, and each day it gets tougher. Um, so I, I want go, go to go to Kevin uh, from CyberArk uh, on this to, to talk to us a little bit about, um, so what are you encountering, you know, as agencies make everything that they're supposed to make, uh, the, the steps that they're supposed to make, their implementations, what do they need to, from you to uh, secure their cloud approach? Sure. So I think the biggest thing is thinking of security as something that's baked into the cloud, not bolted on, right? Um, as agencies start to move to the cloud, um, one of the key drivers for that is automation, right? Being able to automate the development of any software or applications that they have, whether they're external or customer facing, um, but also just automate the server deployment process, right? Uh, literally clicking a button and having a server appear, not even having a, a, a person do that, right? Having a robotic process automation tool build your, your infrastructure. Um, the challenges we see with that though is Understanding that you know, just because a non-human entity is building a server or deploying software or an application, there's still credentials that need to be secured, right? And these credentials are extremely powerful. If we look at some of the different um, hacks that have occurred over the years, right? There's a, a, a AWS secret access key that might be in plain text and source code on a Git repository, right? Things like that are what we aim to solve, right? It's being able to say, okay, you're moving to the cloud, that's great, but the problem of yesterday where there's a credential that a service account is running, it still exists, right? And being able to um, put a, a strategy around that, right? Because service management and service account management and moving to the cloud are, are very difficult things, um, but they need to be tackled. Otherwise, you're going to build up a, a large technical debt around um, you know, having to fix that all down the road. Right? So, uh, Habib, um would you like to comment on that? I have a specific question for you, but uh, I saw you looking intently as uh, Kevin was talking. Yeah. Uh, um, so the one thing I'll add is everything Kevin said is spot on, right? And then parlaying on to what Greg said as well, it, there's no silver bullet, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's making the right choices in the applications you deploy, in the systems you deploy, and then being able to take that and not only scale that wide across your agency, but then scale that to the appropriate user types you have, right? kind of those entitlements because the way Adam may treat a farmer is going to be very different than the way Greg treats uh, an, an, an attorney and Jamie treats maybe local law enforcement that she's working with. So being able to have that flexibility to appropriately challenge and appropriately um, introspect that user, not just the attributes, the context as well, is I think a, a key challenge when you're as wide as the government is. Mm -hmm. Technology stack, you want to take that on? So, oh, part? No. <laughs> so that's where I wanted to go with you, and and uh, Zach, you've been very quiet down there. So uh, I'm sorry, but we see you, and we're coming <laughs> to you. So, but uh, Habib, today the intricacy in the technology stack has created opportunities, and it's also created threats too. So, mm -hmm. how does the expansion of the stack, um, I sort of impact the demands on uh, the folks at your team, on your team? That's a loaded question, right? It is, because purposely. There's, there's so much going on, and every agency has a unique mission, unique criteria that goes along with that mission, and how they're going to solve that is going to be different. Um, I think what you'll see, and what, what we see, the industry as a whole, and this is myself and um, the other uh, solutions you have up here, is we're trying to build that around standards. Because if you can build a standard into a, into a platform, into an application, that's what helps the agencies around us deploy that and scale that and make it repeatable. And whether it's a strong federation protocol like uh, SAML or it's something like OpenID, um, building strong multi-factor and options within those factors, right? Um, being able to, to build a standard that can be portable across the industry and across the security stack, right? Exporting of logs is another great example. I think that's what helps make their job really easier. And I think that's something that we hope to see more of as, as that partner community starts to expand. Mm -hmm. um, because again, right, there is no silver bullet. And at the end of the day, I think from an Okta perspective, what we want to do is make the easy stuff easy and the hard stuff possible. 
and having standardization helps and goes a long way towards that. Zach, uh, we have bobbed and weaved our way through some very complex issues today from time to access to questions about uh, what needs to be done to get the process uh, in order and to deploy it. And, you know, we've talked about security and, you know, I keep going back to the pace of change because that just seems to impact everything. What is the key or are there key aspects that we haven't dealt with that you think are important that we need to get out here today from FDIC's point of view? Sure. Um, I really think, and we've, you're right, we've touched on a number of different areas, and I think there's a, there are some common threads here. One kind of goes back to where we started, and that was building out the government in particular. Within each agency, we've built out point solutions um, to meet a, bis- a mission need or a particular uh, function uh, requirement of the, of the agency. We've also been responsive and kind of under the guise of uh, uh, requirements and OMB and FISMA and all these their uh, pressures bearing down. Um, now that we've moved into and we've we've started to partner with and, and grow into cloud space and external uh, services and shared services even between agencies, we can't con- where th- we used to be able to work the magic internally within our on-premise network to kind of thread these things together. Now we actually have to start extrapolating those needs and those requirements from the services from these cloud service providers, and again partner with the industry experts who within themselves have built a sort of ecosystem of capabilities so that they can play off one another, guide the agencies into how to, how to best orchestrate across each of these services, uh, across each of these systems, whether they're within our buildings or, or in a data center across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, once you build out that relationship, again, leaning back on our governance internally because ultimately we're responsible within the agency, we're accountable for this, this partnership and this success of these programs, but lean on the industry experts that we're not each navigating these these waters alone. We can actually learn from others' mistakes and and really reach out and um, kind of embrace the the best in class, best in service. That's a very interesting point you bring up because I had a conversation with a, a f- member of a foreign country's military um, in the normal course of my work, and that individual was talking about sharing uh, experiences um, that uh, from a diplomatic and a country level people. And even from an organizational level, um, when it comes to cyber, even whether it's threats or whether it's, you know, uh, technology or what you're doing or how you're engaging, a lot of people don't want to really share a whole lot about that. So how do you approach the process of getting people to share with you um, everything that you think is necessary to get to get your job done? So obviously there are, there are the agency secrets that, you know, we all have our mission data that we work so hard to protect. Um, but it, for the most part, what we do and how we do it, we at the FDIC do strive to be uh, as transparent as possible in, this, in that regard. And so we will partner with not only other financial regulators in that space, but even reaching into DOD and DHS and some of the, the bigger players um, in this space to be sure that you know we'll, we'll come to the table and say, here's how we're doing this. Here's this problem that we're, we've confronted. Maybe we will bring an industry partner along with us to say, here's this, this challenge that we've been presented with. How are you solving for this? Mm-hmm. And in most cases, once you kind of lay down that that guard, and um, you know, you do become more transparent between agencies. More than likely, they're going to respond in kind. Builds trust. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay, Patricia, I want to talk to you um, about the human element here. You know, we we've talked a lot about machines. We've talked a lot about technology, but none of this works without some human interface in the process. And I know the DOD, as every other agency represented here, and those that aren't here has con- have their own concerns about insider threats. So I'm, I'm curious to, to find out how your identity plan addresses that risk. Well, as I said before, we believe very strongly, strong identity vetting and identity proofing. And so that's why you'll hear us continue to be um, supportive of continued use of the PIF and the CAC because of the identity vetting that it is associated with that. That doesn't necessarily mean we actually have to use that card. We can use it to derive credentials. Um, but with that, we're starting to integrate that with our Comply to Connect, um, something called user activity monitoring within our networks. Um, and so tying all of these pieces together of what's on the network, who's on the network, what are they doing, what are their activities, where they're going. Um, Identity is 
critical to actually understanding that beast and building that information to help us to better protect the information and ensure we don't lose data. Adam, you want to add something to that? You know, I think that with, with so many different facets in all these areas, I think another really key piece, uh, you know, for ICAM programs in general is that strong partnership, I know that word's been used a few times, that partnership with, with our mission and business owners as well. Um, you know, we've really tried to make ICAM be not just a back office security or compliance or infrastructure ops function, and it, it's maybe all the above, but really have it be viewed as a partner and a value add enabler for the business uh, in what they want to do. And, and we can only do that through really tight engagement and, and partnership and communication with the business. So you're trying to get buy-in is what you're, what you're saying. Right, and make sure that we can be responsive to, to their needs and, and really deliver continuously uh, in small increments for, for building what the, what the mission needs to do their job. That's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank all of our guests. I'm your moderator, J.J. Green, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com, search Cyber Leaders. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, Cyber Leaders on Identity Management, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. Government agencies are embracing the benefits of modern cloud solutions faster than ever as they recognize the need for innovative solutions to modernize infrastructures, increase security, and reduce costs while serving citizens better. New policies are being introduced to ensure agencies are meeting new standards, such as those laid out by OMB's recent memo on FICAM. Learn how Okta can help your agency with an innovative identity management solution. Visit okta.com forward slash government. That's O-K-T-A dot com slash government. CyberArk is the global leader in privilege access management, a critical layer of IT security to protect data, infrastructure, and assets across the enterprise, in the cloud, and throughout the DevOps pipeline. CyberArk delivers the industry's most complete solution, helping federal agencies meet today's challenging security and compliance requirements. And CyberArk is trusted by the world's leading organizations, including more than 50% of the Fortune 500, to protect against external attackers and malicious insiders. Visit CyberArk.com. Mom.